Women's health needs, and especially our hormonal needs, are finally receiving the attention we've deserved for years. And Hormone Harmony, a new sponsor of SelfWork, rates as one of the top five hormonal supplement companies out there. If you're a young woman struggling with that week before your period when moods can be all over the place, and I certainly don't miss that, or older when you're so glad menopause is here, but if you're like me, you sometimes stare at yourself in the mirror and ask, where did I go? Hormone Harmony has become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media, and a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Basically, if you breathe in and out slowly twice, that's the amount of time it takes for one more woman to understand she can reach out for help, no matter what her age, through Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code SELFWORK at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code SELFWORK for 15% off today. This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret. And self-work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self-work. Hello and welcome to Self-Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I've been podcasting for about three years. I've actually been in practice for over 25 But I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to several groups, maybe those who were already interested in psychological or emotional issues but would like to hear from another therapist, somebody who may just have been diagnosed with depression or anxiety and are looking for answers, and then that third group, people who really don't understand what therapy is and they think, oh, I'll never darken the door of a therapist, never, but I think they might be curious enough to listen to a podcast So welcome to any and all of you. Today we're going to be talking about motivation. A lot of times I hear people talk about wanting to make changes in their lives. And of course, I've had a very bird's eye view of my own sometimes feeble attempts at change. So what makes some people better at changing than others? Is it procrastination? Is it willpower? Is it someone who struggles, doesn't have what it takes or can't find their motivation? Sometimes I think we look for motivation in the wrong place, and that place is a place of shame, getting hung up with the idea with not being self-disciplined. So we'll talk about this dynamic today, and I'll suggest three steps to encourage yourself with those changes that may be a little bit harder, and how not to let shame sabotage your attempts at moving in a direction that you want or perhaps even need, rather let you feel and what you want create motivation for your actions. The listener email today is from someone who had sought therapy in the past but never truly gotten what she wanted. She asks, what are the best ways to find a different kind of therapist this time? I get this question a lot, so I'll answer it today. So welcome once again to Self Work. We'll see if we can get motivated (laughs) to talk about getting motivated. Mark Manson, who wrote the hilarious and very poignant book, really, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F Word, and he's a self-made philosopher of sorts, with a huge following, by the way, writes colorfully about self-discipline. 
And I quote, Let's say you're trying to lose weight and your big hang-up is that you run through about three liters of ice cream each week. You're an ice cream fiend. You've tried stopping through willpower. You've tried diets with your friends. You've told your partner to never, ever buy ice cream again as a desperate attempt to blame them for your own shortcomings. But nothing's worked. Not a day goes by that you don't down about a thousand calories of creamy goodness and you hate yourself for it. And that's your first problem. Step one to self-discipline is to de-link your personal failings from moral failings. You have to accept that you caved indulgence and that this doesn't necessarily make you a horrible person. We all cave to indulgence in some shape or form. We all harbor shame. We all fail to rein in our impulses. And we all like a good bowl of ice cream from time to time. And he added a another descriptor in there, which I will leave out. So that's Mark Manson for you. Truly, I couldn't agree with him more. Somehow we are either led to believe or believe ourselves that if you feel bad enough about something, then that should be enough for motivation. And if you don't feel bad enough to stop or start whatever it is you believe would make you a better person, then it follows that you must be a horrible person. You're putting the cart before the horse, so to speak because you're trying to use shame to create change. Shame. Feeling that your lack of action or your continued unwelcome or even addictive or bad behavior defines you as bad. That's shame. You believe that if you shame yourself just enough, if you look in the mirror one more time and tell yourself how disgusting you are, you'll stop eating that ice cream. Or if you ridicule yourself hard enough that you haven't gotten that report done, that you'll miraculously have the energy to get the sucker done today. So at the end of the day, when the cursor is still blinking on that Word document that was supposed to go out, you're a failure. Or what's wrong with you that you've tried for years, off and on, to get up 30 minutes early so that you can meditate or exercise or just have a few calm moments before the buzz of the day begins? You do it for a week and you feel awesome then you don't do it. You hit the snooze button four times, and now the dog needs to go out, the kids are up, so once again, you've failed. Once again, you're a big, fat zero. That's shame, pure and simple. And it happens over and over and over. That cart of yours gets filled with disgust, ridicule, disappointment. And who in the world can withstand that? You scream at yourself, I lack self-discipline. Well, that's probably not what you scream, but something, again, cleaning it up, that's what we scream. I won't go into necessarily the cultural or religious stands that sadly to me encourage such shame. I understand enough from the history I remember that if people didn't buy into the fact that human life would be better, or in fact, exist at all without all of us killing each other, that certain rules were taught that should be followed and you would be severely punished for not following them. But I'm not a historian, nor a sociologist. In this day and age, however, when you're getting pummeled daily with what you should look like, where and what you should eat, how you should raise your kids, what schools they should go to, how to parent perfectly, what podcast you absolutely need to listen to, how to be successful, whatever that means, how you should care about this and not care about that, All those shoulds can lead straight to shame. They're no longer guideposts or things that govern our culture. It's all about self-discipline. And you've got to have self-discipline, right? Then you won't have shame. 
Let's look for a second at the definitions of self-discipline. Collins English Dictionary says this, Self-discipline is the ability to control yourself and to make yourself work hard or behave in a particular way without needing anyone else to tell you what to do. So this definition stresses making yourself, quote-unquote, work hard and that you don't need an authority figure, so really stressing independence. I was curious about other definitions because, of course, definitions are subjective, right? Merriam-Webster says, Self-discipline is the correction or regulation of oneself for the sake of improvement. They want us to focus on self-regulation. Well, at least that begins to inch closer to your emotional life with the term regulation. I checked more with an online dictionary. It's called Your Dictionary, and they bring another factor into it. Self-discipline is the ability you have to control and motivate yourself, stay on track, and do what is right. So here comes other ideas, control, motivation, and even worse, from a shame perspective, to do what is right. And then their definition finally gets to motivation. And how is motivation defined? The reason you have to act the way you do. I'll say that again. Motivation is the reason you have to act the way you do. The reason, the the story you tell yourself, your self-talk in some ways. You know why you're doing it. I think too many people who are trying to change get hung up on the concept of self-discipline where so much shame lies or can lie and not enough time looking for their internal motivation. How do you want to feel? A lot of people who look highly self-disciplined love the feeling of that very rigorous stance toward life. Some of them may not. Some of them it may be about perfectionism. And you know I talk a lot about that with Perfectly Hidden Depression. But some people who get up and eat kale and almonds and are up by 4 o'clock to go meditate and exercise, those people love that kind of schedule. It makes them feel great. It's inherently motivating for them to do that. I think for most of us, we need to focus more on motivation. So here are three steps I've seen that work for a lot of people, myself included. Like Mark Manson said, letting go of shame is number one. To see your vulnerabilities as vulnerabilities, not that if you were just more self-disciplined, you could get rid of that vulnerability. That vulnerability is likely to stick around in some form or another. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you. Think about it. Every person you know has vulnerabilities. I, for one, can be impatient I'm anxious if something is taking too much time and I need to go do other things. Not all the time. In fact, when I'm at my office and have my therapy hat on, all of that goes away, which is sort of refreshing. I'm very much in the moment. But anyway, we all have vulnerabilities, right? And you still love the people you love knowing their vulnerabilities. And people love you knowing yours. So first, we want to destigmatize unshame vulnerability. So if you can manage to unhook yourself from that, what does that lead to? Second step is self-acceptance. If your vulnerabilities don't make you bad, then what do they make you? They make you human. It's through self-acceptance that you can find comfort and peace. And lo and behold, when you accept yourself, you can begin looking for things that help you find motivation to tweak those vulnerabilities, to work with them instead of against them. Remember, self-acceptance is not the same as resignation or giving up. 
I've said that in other podcasts. So I think that it is far easier when you can accept yourself, then you can ask yourself, what do I want my motivation to be? Why do I want to change this behavior? It may be it's for my physical well-being, for my medical well-being. I'll just like myself more. I want to feel as if my life is growing and changing and that I am growing and changing. I want to experience something different more than I want to experience the same old, same old. Generally, if the motivation is shaming, then it's not going to work. You have to find a far more positive motivation. hope that makes sense. Here's an example. Let's say your vulnerability is ice cream. Then what might motivate you to leave the scoop in the drawer for this afternoon? This is one that I suggest often to my clients, that if they don't eat ice cream that afternoon, they put some amount of money, 50 cents, 25 cents, a dollar, in a glass jar to begin saving for a vacation. They find something that would be more motivating to them than that scoop of the icy cold stuff that afternoon. You begin to find other things that might motivate you, reinforce you. Another technique I use is to ask yourself, why do you want the ice cream anyway? What's the motivation underneath the desire for ice cream? What do you think the ice cream will do for you that you can't do for yourself? What is motivating you? Maybe you're lonely. That's what's motivating you. So how could you address being lonely other than ice cream? Or maybe you're bored. What do you do to try to address your boredom? The more you identify and understand your motivations and take your behavior off automatic, the more you can work with those motivations. The whole process feels very collaborative. It's you working with you. The third step is to understand what motivation comes easily to you and what motivation is just plain harder for you. Sometimes you're not sure you're motivated enough to do something or not do something. So you wait around to find that motivation. I'll do it when I get motivated to do it. Now, I don't know if I've ever met anyone who's highly motivated or gets excited about something like doing laundry. It's laundry. It's ever-present, ever-growing, ever-needing to be folded. So let's look at this. Today, we've said that it's not helpful to shame yourself for not doing laundry, okay? But what if one day or one week or two weeks go by before you can womp up the motivation to get it done? What prevents shame from roaring back into your life with a fury? And I think it's this. Some things for you as an individual are going to naturally be more motivating than others. For example, I can't smell fresh basil without having an urge to make pesto. I'm very motivated to make pesto. Other folks can walk right by it, no problem. My husband sees on the radio that an old rock and roll song is on, and he's highly motivated to listen to it. I can look at the title and be much more motivated by conversation or even friendly silence. We all have things that we're drawn to easily. So you can't assume that everything will be easy to find your motivation to do. Some things are much harder than that, and that's okay. Again, you have to work with it. Try to motivate yourself like you'd motivate a child that you're trying to teach. Here's an example of something I did a long time ago. I don't do well on standardized tests, the ones you have to take for like grad school and stuff. So I dreaded retaking the GRE. I had not done well the first time, and I kept putting it off. 
My favorite soap opera at the time was All My Children. So I worked with my motivation, right? I would tape All My Children, but I made a rule that I could watch one hour of it for every hour I studied. So I increased my motivation significantly in the short term. I already had the more long-term motivation to get into grad school. But I also had to know how Janet got out of the well. (laughs) That was a big deal on all my children. So if you notice, I didn't shame myself for not raring at the bit to study. None of us particularly want to do something we're not good at doing. So you have to find a way to motivate yourself differently. So there are the three steps. First, you let go of shame. Then you find self-acceptance. And you find a way to motivate yourself differently for those things that come harder to you, knowing that some motivation, again, will be very easy for you. You can hear the kindness in that kind of approach to yourself. You're no longer looking in that mirror with disgust. So you can accept that sometimes deadlines are hard for you and think, okay, how can I structure my workday where I'm not avoiding this task But I reward myself, I reinforce myself for getting some of these things done. Enjoy the things you feel highly motivated to do, and then accept that just because other people can get motivated to do something else that you struggle with, that you can accept that. Work with it, not against it. So our listener email today is from someone whose problem is actually more common than I'd like to think. She says, thanks for all the information about therapy you've made available. It's been so very, very helpful to me. I've recognized myself again and again in your podcast. I think I've listened to them all in the past six weeks, which again, maybe that's why my stats are going up. Thank you very much. You've kindly offered to answer questions and I have a couple of them. Here's a little background. I've tried therapy a few times over the years, but without much success. I've always found it to be meandering and totally without direction or goals. This could be because I could never articulate exactly what I wanted to accomplish. All I knew was I wanted the pain to stop. I want to try it again. I have some stability in my life, including a great job I've been in for a couple of years. I've learned a lot about the process from you and from having read several really good books. I'm determined to learn more about my whys, hows, and I want very much to have better skills going forward. I turned 58 last year. My last attempt at therapy was January through May this year. I tried to get it off to a better start by providing more specific info about why I was there. I told my therapist, after much contemplation, that in truth I had never had a healthy long-term relationship, and I'd been fired from every job I ever had including two really great dream jobs. And then after all that, I got myself into some real trouble. And I was the common factor in all of it. For me, these were big realizations and admissions. And then to actually say them out loud and to someone else, that was unheard of. That therapist and I meandered weekly through the end when I bailed. Here are my questions. One, do you ever treat people remotely via Skype or FaceTime? I'm sure many others have asked this of you. I realize licensing and interstate geographies may prevent you doing so, but if that's a possibility, would you do a few sessions with me? And then lastly, she says, thank you, and could I recommend a therapist in her area? Well, first I thank her for listening and for her very kind words. 
Meandering, I'm sure, has felt awful, and I'm sad to say that many therapists do it. I don't know the licensures of the people you saw, but the kind of training you get does make a huge difference in your therapeutic approach. If they were a Ph.D. psychologist, a marriage and family therapy person, an LPC or licensed professional counselor or a social worker, all of those trainings are very different. Now, all of those licensures can also be earned by very, very competent people. The letters after their name doesn't necessarily make them a really good therapist. But really, unfortunately, word of mouth is probably the best thing you could use. When people call me now, they'll say things like, I've heard you're very direct, and I am. I always say to people, I'm not always right, but I'm going to say what I think. Anyway, the best way you can tell that is to talk with others about their therapy with the person. Now, of course, that means opening up to other people that you're seeking a therapist. I mean, think of it as a medical doctor is somewhat the same. You hear, oh, don't go to her because her, quote unquote, bedside manner is terrible or he didn't seem really interested in what I was saying to him. So therapists aren't the only people who might can meander a bit. And of course, you can ask a potential therapist if they set goals, but some may say they do because that phrase may mean one thing to them and another to you. I would recommend that you do this. Try to find a therapist that has a good reputation. Walk in and say to them, I've tried this before. It has not worked well. Some of it may have been about me, but I, I want to come in for a few sessions. Just say that up front and what things you want to try, things you want to do that you don't necessarily need for therapy this time to be about going back into the past, that you've made a lot of realizations. You want to understand how you are the common thread in all of these problems. So as you say, you do. Articulate your goals before you ever pay them a penny. If they're not willing to talk with you for a few minutes prior to beginning therapy, especially if you don't know someone who's seen them and can describe their technique, then I'd go elsewhere as well. Most therapists also have websites now and post something about their work, so you can look there. It certainly sounds as if you have a very specific goal, to be a friend and a support to others, to have good relationships with people, and you've already crossed that bridge of vulnerability and revealed yourself. I'm sorry this is such a struggle to find someone. Hang in there. Let me explain, too, that I don't do online sessions at this point. I'm very flattered and honored that several of you have asked me that question. There is a licensure that exists out there that as soon as this book comes out, I may look into getting, which does protect you because right now I'm only licensed in the state of Arkansas. And so legally, I can only see people who are also residing in the state of Arkansas. But there are ways around that, which I'm going to look into. And I'll let all of you know if that's a possibility. Again, I'm very honored and flattered by that. I want to thank all of you for listening. I did get an online review, and it was a good review, but she said, you know, I wish it were longer. I wish Dr. Margaret could go more in-depth. I wish that too, but at the same time, maybe some of you don't know, I still carry a full practice. I see around 30 people a week, and I produce these podcasts myself, meaning that I find the topic, I find articles that I might want to quote about that topic, so you don't just hear my opinion on everything. <laughs> so it takes me several hours to do each podcast, and then, of course, there's the recording. 
and working with my audio engineer. So it's a little more complicated than me just sitting in front of a microphone and talking. But I do appreciate that you wish it were longer. Maybe if I stopped seeing patients, I could make that happen. But that's not in the cards right now. Thanks for all your emails. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. And I'd love to hear from you. I love to know who's in my audience. And of course, I use those emails for the listener email. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com, and you can go there and subscribe. It's a really easy way to keep up with this podcast. If you don't have Podbean or Stitcher or something like that, you also get my weekly blog post and nothing more, I promise. I want to invite more of you to leave, especially online written reviews. Those are so helpful as far as advertising self-work, because when people see that there are lots of positive written reviews that people have taken the time, just the five or 10 minutes it takes, it still means a lot. So I appreciate so much the comments that 400 or something of you have already left. I very much appreciate it. I'm over on Instagram at Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I have my professional Facebook page at again, facebook.com slash Dr. Margaret Rutherford. Would love to have you over there. And I do have a closed Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work if you'd like to be a member. But now, please, if you tried to be a member and I haven't gotten back with you or I've declined, it's because you didn't answer the questions. And those questions are important. And the answers to those questions are important for me to see. So I hope you'll join. Would love to have you. I go in and out, but it's a great, very diverse, supportive group. Thanks for being here today. Take very good care. Work with your motivation. Let go of your shame and accept yourself. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.